Welcome back to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop in Southwest Florida. My name is Christine, and I'm here with John. Hello. And Rob. Hey. And this is a story that John chose. It's The Telltale Heart. Go ahead and tell us why you chose this, John. I think I, I chose this one because um, I always liked it, right? It's, it's Edgar Allan Poe. It's classic. Um, and it does some really interesting things. It feels, uh, to me, it feels like it could be modern in certain ways. Um, I could see this being done nowadays. And I don't know. I, just, I thought it might, it might be interesting to think about what we can learn from um, one of the original masters of the short story. John's going to read a snippet for us. The eighth night, I was more than usually careful as I opened the door. The hands of a clock moved more quickly than did my hand. Never before had I felt so strongly my own power. I was now sure of success. The old man was lying there, not dreaming that I was at his door. Suddenly he moved in his bed. You may think I became afraid, but no. The darkness in his room was thick and black. I knew he could not see the opening of the door. I continued to push the door slowly, softly. I put in my head. I put in my hand with the covered light. Suddenly the old man sat straight up in bed and cried, Who's there? I stood quite still. For a whole hour I did not move. Nor did I hear him again lie down in his bed. He just sat there listening. Then I heard a sound, a low cry of fear, which escaped from the old man. Now I knew that he was sitting up in his bed, filled with fear. I knew that he knew that I was there. He did not see me there. He could not hear me there. He felt me there. Now he knew that death was standing there. Slowly, little by little, I lifted the cloth until a small, small light escaped from under it to fall upon that vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open, and my anger increased as it looked straight at me. I could not see the old man's face, only that eye, that hard blue eye, and the blood in my body became like ice. Have I not told you that my hearing had become unusually strong? Now I could hear a quick, low, soft sound, like the sound of a clock heard through a wall. It was the beating of the old man's heart. I tried to stand quietly, but the sound grew louder. The old man's fear must have been great indeed, and as the sound grew louder, my anger became greater and more painful. But it was more than anger. In the quiet night and the dark silence of the bedroom, my anger became fear, for the heart was beating so loudly that I was sure someone must hear. The time had come. I rushed into the room, crying, Die! Die! The old man gave a loud cry of fear as I fell upon him and held the bed cover tightly over his head. Still his heart was beating, but I smiled as I felt that success was near. For many minutes that heart continued to beat, but at last the beating stopped. The old man was dead. I took away the bed covers and held my ear over his heart. There was no sound. Yes, he was dead. Dead as a stone. His eye would trouble me no more. My favorite part is when he screams, Die! Die! I know. That's why I wanted to read that section. <laughs> Aside from that, I can see why this is modern, like the impulse to kill. And it kind of reminds me of the story that Rob picked where it's like, it's not necessarily that the uh, the t- title gives it away, but from the outset, you know that he's got murder on the mind and it's probably going to end that way. So I liked it because of the tension that it built up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think when we talked about it in the teen workshop um, that we're teaching, we talked about how showing versus telling was building this tension. So instead of saying, I crept into his house on the eighth night, I crept into his room on the ninth night, I stuck my head in on the tenth night, it shows him inch by inch, like creeping around. And there's something so like off-putting about that, right? It's It's creepy and you can see it. And I think it's accomplished because it's done like kind of slowly that way. Who would have read this at the time? Is this getting published widely or did, any, did anybody just, did anybody know about it? These, these, um, That's great great posters. Yeah. It makes you wonder if this is popular and this is entertainment. Like it takes you about five minutes to read six minutes. It's like, can, is that still valid now? And I wish it was. Yeah, that's a good point. 
Like, do people care to spend five minutes? It's only five minutes, Mm -hmm. but it's only five minutes. And then by the end, is it enough? Yeah, I feel like there's a lot going on in that five minutes, too. You get, uh, like you said, that tension. You get uh, get inside the head of this madman who's claiming not to be a madman. And you get to understand that he is a madman. A dawning realization. Maybe not so dawning. I think um, maybe, too, what strikes you as modern is the idea of this, like, unreliable narrator. And I feel like we see especially like a lot of um, TV shows with this concept now where you're following this person that you know is a little off and they're kind of like taking you on a ride, but you're happy to kind of go along because you know it's going to be interesting and that like as the observer, you kind of have a sense of what's really happening. There's something like appealing about like a crazy character, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Rob likes that kind of stuff. Well, it is interesting to think, uh, you know, unreliable narrator is not an modern invention. It's been around forever. Obviously, we, yeah. But the short story form, I don't know the history of the short story form, but um, my impression of it is that this started in the 19th century. Like Edgar Allan Poe is one of the the guys that really made it what it became, kind of got it going. And, uh, and it hasn't changed much. Right. Like it's, pretty much the same as it was back then. So there's a lot of things that if you want to accomplish something in that form that you're working in a pretty well-established tradition. And we don't know what their relationship is either, right? The the narrator and the old fellow. No, I was thinking about that today. Like, you just kind of dropped in, but yeah. you're like, I guess this is the situation. Yeah. He's like a tenant or something. That's something that would be cool to apply to your own stuff. Oh, sure. To drop into a conflict with yeah. that. And just like the anonymity of it. That's interesting because I feel like we could apply that to a lot of like newer writers who, especially in our workshop, are so hung up on when and how you get the backstory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if your conflict is strong enough, then we care less about that, right? And if and if through that backstory that you have off the page, your characters are well-developed enough that like they can move through this conflict yeah. in an interesting way. Yeah, that's a great example of this then. Wow, great point, Rob. <laughs> I think... I think that that um, informs, like, at the end, when he's in the room with the police officers or the officers of the police. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's my other favorite part. Die, die, the officers of the police are here. But uh, he um, he's talking with them, right? And the way that that scene is described, he doesn't give, we're talking about concrete details, he doesn't yeah. give concrete details for that conversation. He kind of mentions it, you know, I led them finally to the old man's bedroom. As if playing a game with him, I asked him, sit down and talk for a while. Um, my easy, quiet manner made the policeman believe my story. I mean, that's the kind of line that you would be told under normal circumstances. You should show that. What do you mean, an easy, quiet manner? You know, show us that. But that's not what's important in this scene. That what's important in this scene is that he starts hearing the heartbeat, and so he kind of like glides through these moments of telling us we're having a conversation. The police officers do this. They're smiling. They're laughing. They're joking. But the concrete details we get are him hearing that heartbeat. The coming out of the floorboards or from where he had hidden the body. Cause that's the, uh, that's the thing that's significant in this scene. And I think that, uh, what, like what you guys were talking about with, uh, not having to explain everything, you know, where the old man came from, how he's related to yeah. him, why he's staying there. In the same way, in a, in certain scenes, you don't have to explain every detail. You don't have to make everything concrete. It's just which, which are the most significant details for the central conflict, for the, the purpose of, of that scene for the evocation of the the um, emotion, uh, the impact that it's supposed to have. I think, too, when, when we brought this up in the teen workshop, we said, have you guys read this? And they were like, yes. We said, well, why were you reading it when you read it? And I think they 
kind of hinted at they were looking for like the context clues that told you that this guy was nuts, despite the fact that throughout he's telling you he's not. And I think that ending is where he's telling you the way that the police officers reacted to him. We're kind of you know, being taken through what inevitably happens after this murder. But it's not just like a procedural thing, like through that lens of his first person point of view and the fact that he's crazy, like we're learning more about how he's sure that these cops have no clue that he did something. Like he's just like, my easy manner, I I sat them down. When when maybe if the cops were to tell you this story, they'd be like, this guy was nuts. He sat us down, he gave us cookies, like... And I think it's it kind of serves to characterize him still, or at least it um it like maintains that characteristic throughout, right? He's crazy throughout. He doesn't even think that they suspect him. Yeah, this would be fun to see it as a short movie to see like from an outside perspective. I'm sure they've done something like that. Someone yeah, has think. to have done yeah, like a short movie. Well, I feel like we see versions of this in like lots of shows where an unlikely murder takes place. Like somebody screws up and murders someone. I mean, doesn't this happen every week in Law and Order? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess what I'm saying, like I'm thinking of like certain movies that I've seen recently where there's like, have you guys seen um the new Black Mirror where you like choose your own adventure? Yeah. Okay. I have not seen that yet. It's it's worth seeing. It gets it like kind of old by the end, but he kills his dad at the end. Spoiler. And <gasps> it's one of these murders though that like, Reminds me of this, where he didn't necessarily plan on killing his dad. Like, you you get that it's, like, all kind of leading to that. But those murders where it's like, ah, oops. (laughs) And then they try to, like, just, like, go on with their life afterwards. I feel like that's, like, a plot that people are really interested in. Because they can see that happening. We maybe don't watch a serial killer movie and think, like, that could be me. But when a character kills their parent, you're like, oh, yeah, that could be me. Yeah, then you have a TV show. Yeah, right. You're like, you sympathize a little bit. So this guy's totally nuts, but also this guy was annoying him. So I get it. You said he was annoying? Yeah, yeah, the tenant was, he was annoying and he had an ugly eye. I totally get it. And he's like, I'm not crazy, you guys. Like, if you saw him. It's like the the, uh, story from last time where with the the critic getting shot in the head. (laughs) He was annoying, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he deserved it somehow. Well, what else do you guys want to point out before we see what we can lift? Well, you already mentioned it, but I have to mention it again. Is that the time had come? I rushed into the room crying, "Die, die!" This is ah, uh, it's such a wonderful visual. <laughs> uh, spent, after all of that time, he's like he literally said in uh, a paragraph before, two paragraphs before, for a whole hour I did not move. Yeah, and that's then, weird. That's a weird line. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> for a whole just, hour, yeah. like who who knows if he's accurate, right? Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. Not, he might be, maybe it was 15 minutes, but just imagining it, taking it literally. <laughs> just staring at nothing for an hour. For an hour. They're sitting up, staring at so each boring. other in the darkness. He lifts the light up, casts it onto his eye. And then from the old man's perspective, I can only imagine. Oh, yeah. Suddenly, <laughs> he can't see the guy until he screams across the room yelling, die, die. Was this late 18th or late 19th century? Or I think it's mid, mid-century. It seems uh, kind of cinematic in the... Yeah. It's action. Oh, yes. So it seems like a good... It makes sense that it would kind of precede movies by not too long. I think, too, this would be one of the stories where, like, if you were going to do an exercise, it'd be interesting to see this from the perspective of the guy that gets killed. Yeah. <laughs> like, my landlord hates me and he's a little off. He didn't think I could see him for an entire hour. There's something really creepy about that, too. Like, yes. you're somehow sympathetic to this guy that's, like, going to be inevitably killed by a nut job. It is interesting, because when I read it, I do read it from... I, I imagine this scene from the old man's perspective. Right. Uh, what is it like to sit in that bed, staring into the darkness, trying to figure out what the heck is going on? Yeah. This maybe you're catching glimpses in the shadows of something going on, like uh, 
a figure standing there. Or maybe he's right. It is just pitch blackness and you can't see what's going on. But I do find myself putting my, my, yeah. myself in that perspective. Maybe he does that somehow intentionally for us to sympathize with this guy. But I think, um, if this was a guy telling you, like, I'm not crazy, but he never had some like kind of direct conflict with another character, it might be harder to know for sure. And I think in this case, like, we have this direct foil who you can put your, your, self in that position and yeah this guy's nuts he's watching you sleep like he's not just talking to walls and like not hurting anyone like it's i don't know i think it serves to like fully characterize him like we know how nuts he is because there's some normal human in the in the picture mm-hmm. well, he he does i think he does it a little bit with um perspective mm-hmm. even though it's first person he says then i heard a sound a low cry of fear which escaped from the old man Now I knew that he was sitting up in his bed, filled with fear. I knew that he knew that I was there. He did not see me there. He could not hear me there. He felt me there. Now he knew that death was standing there. So even though it's from his perspective, it's told in the first person, the 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 character narrator is telling us what it's like from the old man's perspective, right? And and he does it in an interesting way where he says, I knew this and I knew that. And then he drops that, that construction and he just says, he did not see me there. He doesn't say, I knew he did not see me. Oh, sure. And then he could not hear me there. Um, so we're, we're, even though it's in the first person, we're slipping into that third person, um, oh, almost limited. Oh, sure, sure. Right. Cause it's almost, almost into the other man's, uh, head, which is an interesting little trick. I didn't think about until you mentioned that. Yeah. That we're given some kind of like definitive input as to what's happening. Mm hmm. Do you know why in this like printout like certain words are bolded? Has, this PDF comes from the the U.S. State Department website. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't <laughs> know why. They're probably bolding words that like <laughs> they should be wary of the public reading or something. Maybe. Well, it's vulture tightly, and tightly in trouble. In trouble. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, what do you guys think um, we could learn from something like this to apply to something that we're doing, or what do you think they do really well that we could try to emulate somehow? Well, suddenly I want to talk about um, point of view again. You know, what I just said about even though you're telling it in the first person, giving third person impressions, it's definitely done. It's so definitely done that we almost don't notice it. Right. Which is pretty impressive. We don't notice it until we make an entire podcast on it and have to fill up all this time. (laughs) That's right. I like um, kind of what Rob said, where um, you realize that you don't know the the backstory of these characters, but you you can just write something that's just conflict and just, you know, Maybe hope or assume that your readers will understand well, you, enough. You give enough characterization in that conflict that the readers understand the characters enough yeah. for the, the, the Especially for story. something this concise, right? We don't need to know the backstory because we're only going to be with these characters for four pages. And by the end, one of them dies. So I don't need to know like what his mother's main name was. Um, well, unless you want to get in his bank account or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, but this is just like uh, it delivers and it's short. So they do that by eliminating all this annoying backstory. Shows a good way to commit to your voice too. I I have to think about that a lot. Where what would this narrator say, or how would they say it? And you have to kind of keep that even throughout because I think that's kind of like where the energy of anything comes from, story wise. So if you can like believe that the character is like a um, just the character voice is interesting enough like this is somebody who's really nuts and you know it the first syllables so if you can do that with whatever tone you're going for in your story then that's kind of everything at least that's where it starts i feel like one sometimes when i write things and i have to put them down for a second then come back to them i have a real hard time getting back into a certain voice Mm -hmm. and 
it's usually like a hint to me that I don't have a character fully developed. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm trying to like pick up on a mood that I was writing something in versus like a fully realized character that I've come up with. That's a great point. I think it's like, like I envy people that can kind of sit there and, and write something in one sitting because I feel like for me, at least my like inspiration is fleeting. So, mm. and that's what like it gets me to put something down on paper. So yeah, if you can like fully characterize someone and have that idea in mind, then maybe you can like write something like this in pieces or not that this, I don't know how long this took or how he wrote it, but yeah, when stuff is this small, you wonder how much attention goes into each word and yeah, had to, you would have thought of been a lot with someone like Poe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Anything else? Good choice. Yeah. Good choice, John. We, we managed did find to something to say. Oh about yeah. It. We managed to say something about something that we thought everything had been said about <laughs> for years in public school. I'm sure we're repeating someone somewhere. No, not any English teacher.